Welcome to the Jericho Comedy Podcast. I'm Connor McReynolds. Over the last couple of months on the Jericho Comedy Podcast, I've had the pleasure of speaking to a whole host of brilliant, award-winning stand-up comedians, which I have loved. But Jericho Comedy also produces a whole host of fantastic improvised comedy shows. And much like with our stand-up nights, we work with some truly amazing performers on those shows. This week on the Jericho Comedy Podcast, I'm chatting to one of those brilliant improvisers, Vicky Hawley. Vicky is an improviser extraordinaire. You may have seen her in our improvised adventure, the show that must not be named. Just before lockdown, Vicky had also started running her own night with Jericho Comedy, Best of the Quest, an improvised comedic Dungeons and Dragons style adventure. Vicky's such great fun. I'm really looking forward to having a chat with her and playing a couple of silly games. You're also going to be hearing a message very shortly from our lovely friends at Oxfordshire Mind. But right now, let's get this adventure started. Here is Vicky Hawley. <laughs> Vicky Holly, hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the Jericho Comedy Podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me, Connor. How are you this evening? Do you know, I'm very well. The weather has been miserable, but in my heart, it is sunny. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> a very positive vibe. Hello, thank you, man. It How are is... you? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I'm sat here looking out uh, at, as you say, a very, very rainy evening. Mm. Uh, I've got a soaking wet cat sat beside me looking very annoyed like I'm responsible oh. for it raining outside. <laughs> he keeps looking at the rain, then looking at me and being like, come on, turn it off. Um, <laughs> Press which, the button, just... weatherman. <laughs> exactly. It's just not on me. But other than the, the weight of that pressure on me, mm. I'm very well. Thank you. I've been so looking forward to chatting to you, Vicky. You too. Uh, this is, I've been excited about this all week. Yes! Well, Vicky, you have, uh, you've done so much with us at Jericho Comedy. You, you have been in lots of our improv shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just before lockdown, you were getting started with your own night with Jericho, Best of the Quest. I was, yeah. We uh, had a couple of really lovely shows. Yeah, well, tell us about Best of the Quest. Well, it will shock you to learn, Connor, that I spend a lot of my time uh, playing and performing uh, Dungeons and Dragons related content. <laughs> it's, been, it's been, what, less than three minutes and we're already on this great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Best of the Quest was kind of my uh, idea because I think a lot of um, magic can come out of improvised shows. Um, and a lot of people are already invested in the magic of tabletop role-playing games and in the magic of the kind of medieval high fantasy Tolkien inspired world that uh you know D&D and so many other properties occupy um so Mm -hmm. I thought why not get a few friends get a a lovely live audience um and Jericho is actually really really good because you get quite a variety especially for our improv shows you get quite a variety of ages as well yeah Um, definitely and yeah. there's a lot of sort of teenagers who are really excited about D&D, but obviously it's quite hard to find groups and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah. really, really nice to... I realised I sound like I just pitched a show for teenagers, and I absolutely didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to corner the 13 to 17 market. That's what I'm going to do, Harry. There's nothing you can do about it. Away! <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we put stuff together. We had a couple of great ones uh, with the lovely people like John Gracie of Web 
Werewolf Live fame. Yeah, uh, Sasha Ellen of Character Building Experience. Uh, Lucy Fennell, who does a lot of amazing uh, improv stuff with the bit and in London and is an amazing Shakespearean improviser. Uh, wow. Yeah, we had a load of lovely stuff. Uh, we also did a digital uh, Best of the Quest uh, for a festival a little bit earlier in the year and we had yes. the amazing Chloe Mashita on who's of Adventures Wanted and all that kind of fame um, and is just generally a lovely supportive uh, wonderful warm nerd presence which is what I <laughs> seek at the end of the day I think uh, yeah so it's great fun and hopefully you know once um, once we're allowed to do live performance again I'd love to do some more of that but we do a lot of digital oh, yeah. D&D stuff nowadays anyway luckily yeah well that's what I wanted to ask you about as well because I saw the show that you did as part of the, the Jericho Festival with Next Up oh, uh, yeah, and it was, was so it. much fun oh, uh, it was really Gemma. great um, and how I, it, it struck me as someone who knows almost nothing about kind of fantasy RPG <laughs> stuff uh, but it struck me as a format that works really well online. Mm. Has that been your experience of it during lockdown? Have you been able to kind of bring all these these fun formats and stuff and continue with them in a slightly different way? Uh, or has it been very interrupted? It's tough. I think there is no... At the end of the day, it depends what you want out of your tabletop game experience, right? Because I a lot of my... Uh, <laughs> some some people take up online tutoring or work from home during uh, during lockdown. Uh, this bastard over here uh, is actually a professional <laughs> dungeon master and runs uh, or game master and um, runs tabletops online digitally now. Uh, quite a that bit. That is very cool. <laughs> it's really fun, and I think there's you know there's a lot of different styles, and I always encourage people to shop around if they're looking for somebody to run online games. Uh, even if they're looking for people to run in-person games because it's about what you're looking for right if you want if you want to just kind of sit back and see essentially an an improvised theatre show with some aspects of structure in terms of the rolling dice mechanic you are kind of familiar with that's probably the easiest to translate to uh, kind of a digital between between sort of digital and live performance. Um, mm-hmm. But when you do go digital, there are all sorts of uh, online tools you can use to like have battle maps that move about. And you can obviously have easier access oh. to digital tools like D&D Bond and all other good digital D&D tools um, <laughs> where you have like uh, your character sheets you can interact with and edit and share. And it saves you, you know, worrying about where your character sheet has gone to which is like two sheets of paper that's been shoved at the bottom of your soggy bag you know um, and all the pencils <laughs> rubbed off and things um, but yeah so I'd say definitely in terms of the, even though it's it is difficult and there is no substitute for playing in person um, honestly the relationships between players and relationships between players and the narrative translates really well when you have a really nice group of players as I'm very lucky to have yeah well that sounds great it's it's really interesting that you um you mention i guess like the the more positive side of it which i maybe hadn't considered which is yes you're moving it away from real life and actually being able to see each other be in the same room and stuff but you have access to a whole host of different tools and stuff that can uh really add to the experience mm. um that's that sounds like a really interesting thing and it's is that something that you think more generally, uh, kind of outside of uh, kind of D&D and those RPG games and stuff, like comedy, do you think that's something that we should be considering with with comedy now? I mean, let's be real. I mean, the we don't actually, let's not be real for like five seconds. But, <laughs> um, but like, c- 
even if even if they have even if everything has somehow uh, got sorted by Christmas and it's all over by Christmas, which is a promise that's never sure. been broken in history um <laughs> but uh, live performance when it comes back will not be the same and i do think that there are some wonderful opportunities to do stuff digitally in terms of uh widening your audience uh the digital interaction tools on uh services like twitch and like youtube streaming and things like that where you can make people feel like they're more personally part of a community um, yeah, one of the best things I find about so we we stream a, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast called Vicky's World on Twitch every Thursday from <laughs> seven till nine. Just got to get my plug in there, otherwise, oh please my do. Team will strangle me. <laughs> we shall add a link to that into the episode description as well, so people Aww. can check it out. Thanks, Carla. That'd be lovely. Uh, yeah, we do just kind of goofy stuff, and it's with uh, some nerdy uh, London comedians. Uh, we've got our, our main cast is John Gracie, Sasha, uh, Sasha Ellen, um, Dan Simpson, and Talal Karkuti. Uh, and it's just it's just kind of a dream team. But anyway, enough about me just kind of yelling about <laughs> Vicky's world. Um, but one of the coolest things that we have is we have chat open. So as I'm running the game, I have my players oh, on one part of the yeah. screen, and then I have the adventure on the other part of the screen, and it's quite a small laptop. Um, and then occasionally I can hop over to chat and see and people you can see people discussing the game discussing your performances you know getting really emotionally invested in the story there is without spoiling Vicky's world because Connor I'm sure you're gonna sprint away and listen to our first arc because our (laughs) second arc's just started ladies and gentlemen and those who subscribe to neither um and it's really, really fun. We had a, uh, we had just a, a horrible villain that I really enjoyed playing in the first arc. Um, <laughs> and my friend uh, has just started up a personal campaign to get him skinned. And every time he like <laughs> he buys us a Ko-Fi or he comments in chat, it's just like, hi, I'm here to skin XYZ. And it's like, well, you know what? But that's great. That's wonderful. You can't see that kind of thing. Um, but also it's, I think it's easier to engage people in a narrative the necessarily yeah. stand-up maybe and obviously a feature of stand-up is narrative but i think if you're, yeah but i know what you mean yeah. you can get different kinds of audience feedback i think is what i'm trying to say online um and if yeah. you can adapt your comedy performance to that and grow off that energy instead of the energy we're used to which is ah here is laughter delicious 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 i will continue to do the thing i'm doing um which is how <laughs> or I... the alternative <sighs> oh god where's the laughter i must change everything about myself and everything i've ever written oh <laughs> uh, yeah that sounds like stand up to me yeah there you go <laughs> actually we've clearly it's... had different experiences of comedy i'm very jealous of your view of it <laughs> it's so much easier when you're improvising because genuinely you haven't got anything written and you're supposed to change it well you're you're not supposed to change it based on what makes the audience laugh that is a naughty bad thing to say and i didn't say it in the the recorded media (laughs) Uh, but you can you can adapt your play style you can adapt to your partner you can adapt to your scene uh, everyone else in the scene with you you can adapt to what the audience enjoys um and you can yeah you can adapt based on new information whereas i do think stand-up is really tough i did it a few times and as i believe i've said to you previously it wasn't bad um but it wasn't good connor i'll be honest um, I, uh, so the first time we met, uh, you were doing stand-up comedy. I think we were both doing a gig at Mansfield College. Oh my gosh, um, you're right. Yeah, and oh. I really enjoyed your stand-up. Oh, and thanks, then I sort of just didn't really see you performing stand-up anymore, and mm-hmm. it was kind of all improv. So what was it about stand-up that you... Was it the writing that you didn't enjoy doing, or was it the fact that it's kind of just you up there and you like being with people? 
Uh, what kind of brought you away from stand-up? And what can we do to win you back? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I like, like, I very much admire stand-ups, but I think my brain has been in the improv mode too long to feel yeah. confident doing stand-up. Because basically when you're improvising, one of the things that, one of the habits you, I, I would recommend improvisers getting into uh, is tracking how long you've been talking for without any feedback. Um, oh yeah and that means that you know if your scene partner is acting like they're engrossed enthralled by what you're saying and they've got stuff to do um and they're keeping eye contact and they're engaged with you then that's a sign that they're saying keep going go we love what you're doing um but if they're looking a bit disengaged and wishing they could talk then you know that's a time where maybe you should reassess what you're saying um, yeah yeah <laughs> i think my brain is just so hardwired to be uh adjusting my performance constantly uh in reaction to other performers and in reaction to the audience that i think honestly to be a stand-up you have to be a bit more resilient in terms of audience feedback and it has to be a question of you you just have to be able to come off stage one night and think i was funny the audience didn't laugh as much as i wanted them to (laughs) but i know i was funny um, and yeah. I have that in improv. I guess I just don't have that in stand up. And I think maybe maybe it's also practice. I didn't do very much stand up, but it just feels like yeah, when you yeah. when you're writing and you're trying to imagine the audience's reaction, it just I feel like I've been. Uh, I, it just feels, I don't, oh man, it just feels like you've been writing and talking for too long without feedback. You know. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's, and I guess it's something that, um, yeah, that a lot of stand ups are just. I watch and I'm so jealous that like particularly with a new bit mm. that they're so experienced they've done it so much in front of audiences and they can anticipate people will like this and like stand-ups who are brave enough to do something really weird and really different mm. and they've got to be so confident like I was uh, watching uh, a bit of James A. Caster's Netflix special and obviously oh, yeah. it's a bit naff to refer to like one of the very very top stand-ups in the world but sorry is that james bit... a caster that once uh performed with jericho comedy in aid of, of mine he got that... a start at the the 2018 <laughs> comedy gala yeah absolutely that, the oxygen mind gala uh, james a caster lovely when he performed five times in a day for us and then oh, a few crikey. months later his netflix specials were released yeah that is the same james a caster actually Mickey. interesting <laughs> just wanted to clarify thanks Connor, please go ahead <laughs> but he had this amazing bit in one of his shows where like he's talking about one thing but miming like making a cake at the same time (laughs) and he's sort of not even really addressing like miming making the cake but he's at one point like whipping meringues and then just halfway through a sentence he just turns the bowl upside down over his head and it's so totally unrelated to anything else he's saying but it's so hilarious and so identifiable what he's doing Mm. but my my writing mind just does not work like that. Like I can only work on one thing, and it, when he's writing, clearly he's working on like three or four different ideas at the same time. It's infuriating, and that's kind of what <laughs> I associate like an improviser's mind with as well. Because you do a lot of long form improv. Uh, yeah, so... absolutely. And we're all very brilliant improvisers. I should just clarify every well, absolutely is and very intelligent. <laughs> so yes, thank you very much for noticing, Connor. Very kind of you. <laughs> but it's, it's, it truly is extraordinary. Like I mean. <laughs> Because in long form improv, not only are you thinking of those things that you've mentioned there, like, mm. am I talking too long? Are the audience enjoying all this? But also you're acting, often singing. You've got to oh, yeah. pace a story <laughs> mm-hmm. that you have not heard of or thought of before. You're just mm-hmm. making it up. So it's it's writing, it's acting, it's singing. It's 
collaborating with other people. It's a huge number of of different kind of muscles you're flexing there. Mm. I mean, do you understand how it's like a daunting thing to someone like me who's never <laughs> not really done it before? I'm like, Jesus, how do you even start <laughs> thinking about improvising? <laughs> Definitely. Like, what was your kind of first experience with it? Oh, uh, so my, I mean, my first proper experience of, of proper improv um, was when I went to university and auditioned for and got into the Oxford Imps. Uh, ah, yes, you were bitten by a radioactive imp. I was, absolutely. Like I grew so the many hordes, people. I grew the tail <laughs> and then I acquired a Harry Halsam in my life and the rest is history. <laughs> That's pretty much how it went. Uh, no, but the, I think you just grow up with that... Uh, or, or especially in formative years in in university it's so important mm-hmm. to have that core of people and especially improv groups tend to be if they're lovely and positive like the imps are they tend to be places you go and you feel buoyed and these are people that support you and you know that uh wherever you go and whatever you do they will have your back unless you're being stupid in that case they will tear you down <laughs> as rightly they should uh, but one of the first things i was taught uh, one of the first three rules of improv i was taught and let me hope that i can remember them all now many years <laughs> later uh so you accept and build yes and um yep. you uh listen really closely to all of the offers so not just verbal but also uh physical body language gesture movement the picture voice um oh. but also the third one which is probably the most important um is making your scene partner look good because if you both enter into that contract you both enter into the agreement that this isn't actually about your ego this is about making your scene partner seem like the funniest effing person on the planet if you both engage with that energy then you are supported on stage there is absolutely no need to be nervous because even if things go wrong in improv the audience loves to see improvisers struggle it's so enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) they love to see it when you absolutely fail a rhyme when a chorus is an absolute uh car crash because then obviously choruses get repeated so you've got to look around to the faces of your friends and colleagues and you have to say get on board we're revisiting that wall I smacked into (laughs) and everyone everyone around you should go yes the wall yes the wall (laughs) and it's just joyous I get why it's I get why it's uh unsettling but I think because in improv you have that safety net I mean pulling to part the pull pull back the curtain a little bit and reveal the wizard um your safety net is your fellow performers and your friends yeah and in a really good improv group you will never be able to fail because even if you have the worst show in the world even if you're not funny even if you're uh, every single one of your jokes fail even if you know you completely lose track of the narrative first of all that's not necessarily meaning that it's not the funniest show um hey. <laughs> also it's your it's your job to wear, make sure that doesn't happen to other people but it's also your group's job to make sure that doesn't happen to you and the way you do that is by listening and by supporting and so the idea of going on stage and being a stand-up and having nothing, like no flexibility in terms of, well, then uh, they haven't laughed for the first minute and I've got nine <laughs> more minutes of this. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and like having nobody that can come in and just be like, I'm going to change the energy in the room by being a big man shark. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and just like the number of walk-ons that save people and, and are enjoyable. It's just like... To have that flexibility is, it, I think it comes across more as a support network to me. Um, but I also get that, obviously, it's it's a, it's a scary thing to do. And 
it is I don't think even now when I've been doing improv for eight eight long years (laughs) (laughs) um and like youth theater before that um it never stops being scary and I don't want it to because that's the joy of it absolutely yeah I mean it it just sounds like such crazy fun to have with Mm. with friends and Mm. uh yeah, the the idea of improvising with a group of people that you're really confident that they've kind of got your back and stuff, that genuinely does sound lovely. That's the magic. Um, of it. and and that 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 skill set though that you have to sharpen to be able to do that really well for an audience. I mean, um, you know, the, the first time I remember hearing that improv groups rehearsed i was like uh, <laughs> hold on a second they do what they script do you mean no <laughs> but yeah like tell us a little bit about um because obviously you you're involved with a lot of improv shows for jericho comedy and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and our audiences love the mix of different shows we do and oh, that, you know as you say maybe some of our stand-up shows aren't always suitable for a younger audience but <laughs> there's always something for everyone you know mm. they can go along to uh, the show that must not be named or, or any other number of fun mm-hmm. improv shows that we do. But yeah, tell us a little bit about what an improv kind of rehearsal session can look like. Oh, man. I mean, I it's been, obviously, it's been a little bit of a, t- a while. But I think you can, you can learn a lot about an improv group by how they rehearse and what they prioritise. I think, mm. in, my, <laughs> in my opinion, it's always best to have a director or somebody in charge of an improv rehearsal you might say well it's it's all it's supposed to be collaborative and everyone's supposed to be listening to each other but at the end of the day having one strong voice in order to guide a show it's a, it's very similar logic to having a director for a scripted show or somebody mm-hmm. that i don't know watches a series of uh, like a, a comedy show or whatever uh, mm-hmm. which would technically be considered i guess stand up uh, but they have yeah, directors yeah. and things like that um and it's it's really important to make sure everybody respects that person and listens to the direction they're pulling in. Um, and then generally yeah. you do a lot of exercises about connection, about getting you used to each other's uh, rhythms and habits. And I like to think and hope um, that pretty much everybody I performed with pretty consistently, I would probably be able to tell you their, like, on average, the most common kind of joke they'll do, their instinct if something's going wrong, their instinct if something going, if something's going right. Um, just mm. like the funniest things they do. <laughs> um, and you have to do a load of exercises to build that connection. And if you, at the end of the day, a lot of improv is about vulnerability. And that is so important because if you feel like you can't be vulnerable in a small room with people who are also going to be doing this really silly, ridiculous thing we call improv then yeah. how on earth are you going to be vulnerable and be able to put your you know your trust in those people on stage in front of a load of strangers many Absolutely, of whom would yeah. delight in seeing you fail <laughs> <laughs> so you got that to just work on so that so interesting yeah but there's a God, lot of yeah stuff. it's it's so so incredible i mean another side of all or so much of the improv that you do um you know you're involved with outside of jericho as well but you know everything you do like Bumper Blyton, Multiverse Improv, Improvised mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. show must not be named. I mean, there's there's such a depth of knowledge you have to have <laughs> on the subject matter as well. It's like how much time and effort do you put into kind of learning and maintaining your knowledge of things like <laughs> Harry Potter and Enid Blyton just to be able oh, to improvise around these these ideas and stories? 
That's a really good question. I think specifically with genre long form and genre improv, which for for some reason seems to have become uh, a specialty of mine, or at least a, a statistic, <laughs> a dominating statistic of mine. <laughs> I guess the the public at large will dictate whether or not it's a specialism. Um, but I think you have to devote a lot of time to it. I, luckily, with things like Holmes and Harry Potter, obviously, I grew up with both of these things, and so mm-hmm. the countless hours I will have put into the uh, franchises for both of them. Um, I was very, very passionate about Sherlock Holmes as a teenager. Um, very, very excited about uh, just the the magic of this kind of superhero who used to be able to tell these amazing deductions just by looking at somebody, and all yeah. the amazing. Uh, like I looked more into it. Um, the the amazing history of just the fandom related to Sherlock Holmes of the people when he fell off Reichenbach Falls uh, as I'm sure you know is a, a key yes, part of Holmes yeah, canon yeah. Um, people went round with black armbands and petitioned the Strand in oh order. my god <laughs> you know he was a real figure and he continues to be a real figure of sort of an uh, international emotion and it's really engaging I think that's what engages me about uh, any of these genres that I get involved with is just the amount of if you say a name from them or or a moment from the stories i really like it when an audience feels something in reaction to that um mm. but yeah i think countless hours <laughs> in harry potter which i grew up with my <laughs> reading with my grandpa so that is very held very dear to my heart and obviously it's a real shame that jk rowling takes the bigoted view she does now but i do think yes. there is still a, a, a magic in harry potter and death of the author we'll claw that thing away from her (laughs) get your hands off it joanne it's ours now (laughs) we're in a bookshop in oxford and most of us are queer you can't touch this (laughs) but in terms in terms of blighton actually blighton was a a series that or at least specifically so we do bumper tends to be more related to sort of the famous five and the adventure series and a couple of the school series than necessarily the more like fantastical like far away tree magic stuff um yeah it's hard to improvise with magic um because otherwise why doesn't that just solve all your problems um yeah yeah it's really tough to do so that i actually hadn't um read much of or, or participated much in uh before auditioning for the show Oh God, many years ago now. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I remember it was, I was either in my final year of uni or just out of it. And I remember specifically going charity shop to charity shop and just buying big piles of these blight books <laughs> in preparation for this show and for this audition. And just people looking at me because they were, you know, the adventure series is for younger children. And just being like, yes, what, yeah. what are you up to? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's ours, it's ours. And what's, I think what's less important than the time is the actual nature of engagement you give with it. So I love to annotate my copies of specifically Blight and stuff. Um, I really love, we have, we have little story times sometimes before we go on stage in Edinburgh Aww. where we all sit round in a little circle, all in our little dresses and our little shorts. Um, and <laughs> we read a chat, a page each from a Blighton story. So basically so Aww. we can get our mouths around the language and stuff. But it's also very wholesome to be sat, you know, backstage at um, Underbelly or Underbelly. That is, yeah, <laughs> extremely wholesome. <laughs> Next door, there's a 21-year-old incel screaming <laughs> exactly. about how... 
all lives matter and then you're there and it's like okay my turn to read Blighton it's exactly that oh women are slags and Bethany then stepped off the horse what a lovely outing they'd had I love it Edinburgh needs more of that wholesome absolutely content. plus I just love you... the imagery of us all walking around like evacuees in our 20s and 30s <laughs> oh hello would you like to come and have a jolly old picnic with us you are 26 years old yes I am <laughs> it's just that kind of absurdity that if you invest in people really invest in and people really enjoy it and yeah. I love that so much fuck it why can't I be oh it does sound so lovely you mentioned <laughs> Edinburgh there Vicky uh, mm. obviously this year um, mm-hmm. Listener, you may not have heard. <laughs> um, it's been a bit of a strange year. Uh, how how did August kind of? I guess we're speaking beginning of October now. Mm. But how did kind of August come and go for you this year? Did it feel like <laughs> a strange one for you? Do you know it did? I have done Edinburgh since I was eighteen. Um, every oh single year without fail and they wow. have been simultaneously incredible joys and the most effing exhausting periods of my yeah. life so do you know Party, I was yeah. I was so worried that I would desperately miss Edinburgh um, but I think partially because the festival wasn't going on um, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't feel like you know I was missing out on the joys of just having an audience every day and you know being in that world of performers and three shows and and just sprinting all over and being very excited about doing art. Um, yeah, yeah. I think to be honest, I was kind of relieved for the break, and I know that sounds bad, but like we had a few nice digital shows of a couple of shows I was going to do, like character building experience and things. I was getting started with oh no, actually we were we were well into the first arc of Vicky's World, so obviously I had mm-hmm. sort of some nice weekly uh, improv stuff, and obviously working as I do, <laughs> working my mother's voice. Uh, sniffs in the back of my head <laughs> working as a professional GM she's actually super lovely she's the, she's like well you know whatever whatever you can make work and I'm like thanks mum <laughs> that was fantastic my sister's a lawyer and my mum is obviously very patient <laughs> but you sure you don't want to no mother the comedy will see me through <laughs> We have spoken about uh, how you've done stand-up in the past, that maybe you, for a number of reasons, it wasn't quite for you. Uh, You do all these really cool things, like you are a professional. I'm always reticent to say dungeon master because <laughs> it does sound like something else but that, uh, that is to the do correct remotely. title is that correct uh, so dungeon master is specifically relating to somebody that runs dungeons and dragons tm 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 uh, um and game master tends to be the catch-all term for somebody who more widely uh runs tabletops but most tabletop systems have their own uh terms so things like storyteller or uh, narrator when you're kind of someone oh, staring the narrative. What, what's your preferred term i like oh. the sound of sto- storyteller sounds like a nice storyteller is very cool actually please call me a professional storyteller from now on thank you i would love that <laughs> well you lovely. are a professional storyteller yeah. you are obviously an improviser as well which is also telling stories of course yeah. uh i'm slightly obsessed one thing i love to talk to people about creative people like you are the kind of creative things that we haven't tried yet, but that we've always sort of had a ooh. an itch at the back of our heads. Like, ooh, <gasps> I, I'd like to pick that up. Like I was chatting to uh, Cheska, uh, wonderful Cheska of Dragprov mm-hmm. on another podcast a few weeks ago. Legend. And speaking to her, I was just like, 
Jesus Christ, you need to write a novel. Like, yes. hurry up and write yes. uh, a YA novel right now. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's just like really, really obvious. But are there any things that you've sort of thought, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to give that a go. Like, I, I don't know why I ask this of everyone. But yes, I, I love hearing from creative people about these different avenues. Like maybe sometimes unexpected things. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why. It, there's no end goal with the question. I'm just interested in you as a creative person. Is there anything else that you've not necessarily given a go to before, but you've always kind of thought, oh, I'd love to try that? This is a really interesting question. Um, I'm very lucky in that I've had the opportunity to try a lot of stuff that I've wanted to try. Yeah. I did archery for a little bit, horse riding, yeah. basically just whatever oh my would word. make me a cool elf person, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> If, if someone You're in just, Lord of the Rings can yeah. do it, I can do it, mother. <laughs> <laughs> I was very, I was very bad at horse riding. I loved the horses, and I read cover to cover several reference books about horses. So I was this like very excitable <laughs> ten-year-old that head and shoulders above all of the other girls who had been riding since they were like I don't know four, born on the back of a thoroughbred on the downs or whatever. And I just came in and I just loved discussing about. Did you know how to? Did you know horses can't vomit? That's why it's very dangerous to have a colicky horse. And they just looked at me like, do you want to sit on the animal or not? I'm like, yeah, should we discuss uh, types of bedding for horses? Because um, hay is good, but some horses have allergies. So you'd have to use uh, sawdust. <laughs> just, I had my glasses there. So just imagine me just adjusting those. Flicking that is it. so funny. <laughs> you know, I always thought I would be good at pottery because I saw it on the generation game when I was very little <gasps> and I couldn't understand how they were messing it up, right? Because it looks so simple when you see a professional potter. I was there like age six being like, you fools, you idiots, you fluttering nincompoops. How do you not know? You simply press with your thumbs. And then I got the chance to try it a few years ago. And Connor, I was I was beyond bad. I was, it was just devastating. The turning of the potting wheel, like the... I don't know the clay is just very rough against your hands and I've got the sensibilities of sort of a Regency a foppish Regency gentleman (laughs) (laughs) and so I just looked at my mum about 10 minutes into it and went I'm not enjoying this as much as I thought I would. <laughs> she, she was doing her best with a bowl and trying to build it up. And I'd literally just like made a small that is mound. so funny. <laughs> so there you I go. really, I didn't realize until right now that the YouTube reaction video I need is you watching pottery fails <laughs> and just heckling from your position. You like, blithering oh, idiot. What's wrong with you? Get your thumb in there, moron. It's too dry. Where's the water? <laughs> That's exactly exactly how I was (laughs) but also age six (laughs) you fool that is so brilliant I also love the confidence of looking at something and saying I'd fucking smash that I would nail that I grew out of that so much I don't do that anymore but age six I was just like you idiots how could you not do this it's obvious i'd be great i just luckily luckily i grew out of that some people never grow out of that stage but oh yeah quite yeah <laughs> unfortunately i had a similar thing i remember uh i think it was the first family holiday we ever took to france mm. and we were on this campsite and i saw uh, a mother uh, showing her daughter how to dive into the pool. Ooh. And I, as like this very confident, very chubby little seven-year-old who could <laughs> barely swim, I went over and I was like, ladies, 
what you observe. <laughs> Watch the um, master. <laughs> and I just did like this enormous belly flop yes. into the water. And I just remember like looking back at them and being like, you're welcome. Like, now you can do what I do. <laughs> But I was just watching those like, this is absolutely absurd. Why is her form so dreadful getting into the water? I should show her how. It's like never having done it in my life. Do you know, do you know, I very rarely say this to people, but thank God we didn't meet as children. Could you fucking imagine the egoism in that room, Connor? What fools they are. Yes, what idiots. How do they not know? Simply you tuck the tuck the knees and roll, and then you extend the hands. You're having fun in there, kids, watching the Olympics. Be gone, mother, we're judging. <laughs> Do you know, I love chubby the six-year-olds like, you fools, you blithering idiots. <laughs> oh, I so wish we'd done it. Think of how we would have changed the world. Oh, Everyone Craigie. would do things at our standard. That's all I've ever dreamed of. <laughs> oh, I think I've gone too far the other way now, though, because I find myself so often saying, oh, that's all right. Or, yeah, that's OK. <laughs> and then I'm looking at stuff that's clearly been done very poorly, very often by me. I'm like, <laughs> something that people might not know about me because I don't talk about it. And honestly, people don't ask. Um, is, I'm, a, I'm just a terrible cook. It, I'm just a devastatingly <gasps> bad cook. I just can't. Really? Yeah, I just, I find it tedious and boring to put the food in <laughs> and then it never tastes good and then I have to put it in my mouth. It's like, that's a very, it's a very visceral way to experience your own failure. Like if you fail a, <laughs> fail a test, you can put it away, put it in a drawer, you know, fall off a horse. Ah, it hurts a few days, but that's fine. You physically, <laughs> within perhaps two hours, have to eat what you have failed at you have to experience it with your nose and your entire mouth and your hands and often people judging um (laughs) and the thing with that as well like the thing i i'm not too bad a cook i I really enjoy cooking and stuff but the thing i find when i do get it wrong the soul destroying part is like I can't have another dinner. Like I yeah. can't just make mm-hmm. cancel this one out mm-hmm. by going and eating something that I really like. Like yeah. that's a mistake that you have to live with until your next meal. Mm-hmm. It's a lethal mistake. And that mistake. is sad. Mm. It's really sad. Because then it it haunts you, and you feel bad all night. And somebody like your partner might be like, "Are you all right, honey?" You're like, "Yeah." There's just something inside <laughs> me making me sad. <laughs> I don't know why I voiced you like a children's character, but there you are. <laughs> I love it. I hope we do the rest of the podcast with children's character voices. <laughs> uh, well, Vicky, there's so much uh, more that I want to talk to you about. But right now we are going to go to a message from our lovely friends at Oxfordshire Mind. Have a listen to this. Are you caring for someone and struggling to cope? Suffering with low mood or feeling anxious? Experiencing discrimination and not sure of your options. You are not alone. Did you know that you can ask to speak to an Oxfordshire Mind Wellbeing Worker through your local GP practice? A wellbeing worker can help you to identify what is important to you, offer time, space and support for you to work out the positive changes you want to make and support you to reach those goals, tell you about relevant services you can access to improve your wellbeing and support you with making referrals. Our service is currently available over the phone to anyone registered with a participating GP practice in the city and South West Oxfordshire. 
For more information, please ask at your GP practice or call the Oxfordshire Mind Information Line on What's the funniest gift you've ever bought someone? Ooh. Oh, these are tough. I remember these are tough. Um, oh, yeah. These are pressing questions. The funniest gift. Uh, I think the funniest gift that I sometimes give people, uh, when either when we've played tabletops together or when we've just kind of hung out and participated in fictional spaces a lot, uh, is sometimes I used to do drawings for people for their gifts. Um, you might oh, think yeah. that that's actually a really lovely gift, um, but I personally think it's quite <laughs> egotistical because they did not ask. Um, <laughs> just, just the idea, and it's usually because I've drawn the character before and think it's really cool, but also because I want the ego boost. <laughs> and, so and also because I haven't had time to buy them a proper present. <laughs> so, but just the egoism. I look at myself like an out-of-body experience as I send these messages. It's like, hey, happy birthday. Just thought you'd enjoy my interpretations of your creative ideas. I worked really hard on the hands on this one. Enjoy. <laughs> then I just wait and see. Because it's it's quite a personal thing to give someone, so then they have to give me a compliment. Absolutely. <laughs> the gift you're really giving there is the obligation to say something nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> the only gift I will accept. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Vicky, who do you think would win a poker game played between Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Catwoman, and Jericho Comedy's Harry Heisen? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, obviously the box office would win at the end of the day because <laughs> everyone would pay to see that <laughs> um, now I am a uh, big gay so obviously I have to say uh, Wonder Woman out of uh, obligation and, and hopeful romance Absolutely. but I reckon Harry, Harry would nail it by the basis of just I think maybe winning in terms of the game he would obviously lose big time um, because <laughs> you know a, a Batman's got infinite dollar um, Catwoman can steal True. it but yeah. in terms of winning long term I do not see a situation in which Jericho Comedy's Harry Housem does not leave that game with at least four new acts. <laughs> <laughs> 
and a themed new night with like a superhero improv or a superhero show where it's like we're gonna raise money for mine but we're also gonna beat up some bad guys welcome to Jericho Comedy's Thunderdome <laughs> so I think you know long term Harryhausen wins and the audience that is wins. so true that's true in a sense we all win mm. But Wonder Woman's actually going away with the part. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's got the lasso of truth, baby. Just flicking it onto everyone's ankles. <laughs> <laughs> Not that she'd ever cheat because she's wonderful. Um, oh, she is so wonderful. Uh, anyway, Vicky. sorry. Back in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Vicky, what's the strangest thing you've ever received in the post? It's so frustrating <laughs> that I have a top three. <laughs> I now need to hear all of those three in reverse order, please. Uh, in third place, it is my regular supply of live action roleplay letters, uh, which I write and exchange between uh, my character and my character's friends. Uh, I love LARP. It's a really stupid, fun thing to do. And obviously we haven't been able to go out into a field and camp out and mess around and play characters for over a year now because it's been since 20, uh, September 2019. So yeah, exactly a year. Usually we only have to yeah, wait the yeah. dark months. Um, but so often we write to each other in character and it's just so fun to post. Oh, like, that is so fun. I got cool wax seals. I mix up the different colours of wax and I send it off being like, how is your family? Are they surviving the war with the barbarian orcs? <laughs> <laughs> I am settling in well and my doctoral practice is going excellently but recently my brother returned from sea and he was injured he's fine now though I'm a very good pretend doctor <laughs> so that's number three number two is a pair of uh, worm on the string earrings um, which I bought for myself and I have no regrets about and number one is actually something that I didn't receive but I sent uh, I was on Etsy like every single good lesbian and <laughs> I, uh, I sent f for her birthday uh, to my uh, older very fashionable very well put together quite sophisticated um, uh, lawyer sister a pair of Fimo Clay Greg's sausage roll earrings <laughs> <laughs> and she loved them she fucking loved them <laughs> oh shit sorry Connor are we allowed to swear oh god yeah okay yeah. in that case she fucking loved them there are some them. words <laughs> some words that can't be used mm. to describe those earrings but <laughs> fucking incredible is the only legitimate way to describe those earrings they were not that expensive if you send me your postal address I will send you some Oh my god, I would get my ears pierced just to wear sausage roll earrings. You gotta do it, Connor, you gotta do it. It's it's lockdown. We're all fucking insane. Challenge extended. Do it. <laughs> do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Oh man, that is something else. Nikki, uh, what is your favourite Shakespeare play? Ooh, that's tough. Um I think my favourite Shakespeare play is Twelfth Night. Uh I really like oh. Midsummer and I think there are some really really interesting interpretations of uh, like classics like Macbeth and things but not that Tom mm -hmm. isn't a classic but at the end of the day uh, it's got cross-dressing it's got same-sex attraction it's got silly yellow stockings uh, everything works out <laughs> really well in the end um, and yeah it's just very cool and it was interpreted into uh, or adapted into She's the Man which is as far as I recall I've not seen it in many years but when I was a child I very much enjoyed that film 
I don't think I had the pleasure of seeing that really? one. Really? It's actually very good. It's, I think, a band of bikes. I may have to, to source it out. It's really good. Basically, she, she plays Viola, and she's just like this uh, kind of awkward, uh, quite butchy teenage girl um, who takes her brother's place at a, I think, a football academy, because she's way better at oh, football, yeah. and he runs away with a band. Um, but then she falls in love with Channing Tatum. But she's a boy. Um, oh. And it's really good. Um, as far as I recall, I uh, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. It may have aged very poorly. <laughs> um, but as a, <laughs> as a teenager growing up, questioning pretty much everything I thought about gender and sexuality, um, it was pretty lovely to see this. Just like just a, a fun tradition of cross dressing. I think we should all cross dress more in real life. I really do. Yes, I, think that would I, be bloody great. I came away from. I mentioned the chat I had with Jessica Ugh. from Drag Prov earlier, and I came away from that podcast like. It is absolutely ridiculous that not every single person does drag. Right. Like, why am I wasting my time not being a woman sometimes? <laughs> it seems absurd. Completely, completely. Oh, it's so, so much fun. I've done a drag a couple of times, um, but quite, not in any significant capacity. Mostly dressed as Henry VIII, not going to lie to you. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, if you want to do it, fucking go for it. It's such a joyous thing to do. And the fact that you have the power to create this persona and create how people perceive you. I mean, it, yeah. it, the way that Ed and Cheska do it is fucking fantastic. And it just watching them, you can't help but listen to how they talk about it, see how they perform, um, and just be really, really engaged by it and inspired. I really yeah. like Greg Rob. They really are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, Vicky, did you study hard for your exams? <laughs> oh, God. Did my mother email you? Or... <laughs> she just send the raven as she usually does. No, I, <laughs> uh, I studied very, very hard for my GCSEs. And I studied pretty hard for my A-levels. And in university, I, I studied as hard as I could is what I'll say. Um, <laughs> That's, that sounds like a very reasonable answer. It's what we call diplomatic, and I will be going into no further detail. But in university, I just all I wanted to do was perform. All I wanted to do was get engaged with these fictional universes, get engaged with narrative and storytelling. And I loved history, and I still love history. Um, and I'm very grateful to the people who took time to drag me through a history course. Um, but it just wasn't where my heart was uh, at university. And I yeah. think the tutors that really clicked with me, they managed to adapt their style. So one of my tutors who was fantastic, um, was just like, uh, just bring your essay to the tutorial and then we'll just go through the essay and that'll be the tutorial. And that was so much easier um, and so much better yeah. than you know sending it in advance and then fretting around for a few days. And I know it's ridiculous, but these things do develop these things do you know become barriers mm -hmm. when you're not not all there <laughs> or when you're struggling with stuff um yeah yeah of course yeah but yeah I, I think if i went back now i like to say that i would study harder or find it deep down in myself that i could do 12 hour days in the library <laughs> but at the end of the day all i wanted to do was perform and if you had examined me on performance i would have studied exceptionally hard so that's what i say i i think it's easier to study th for things that you are more passionate about but I did. I mean, right. I've got, I got, I got good results. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, mum. Oh, you're one of those people who didn't study very hard, but absolutely aced it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm one I of those people well who didn't could. study very hard, and my results reflected that. Oh no. And I can live with that. <laughs> and my my wife 
studied exceptionally hard mm -hmm. and like got a first in her degree Damn. from Oxford and like she deserved that. But yeah, the people who didn't study very hard and came out very well. <laughs> Grr. Grr. <laughs> I got a I got a two one and nobody has to know how safely I got that two one. And that that is where I am. Because my two one has not got me any shows, but my performance is that. So there we go. True, true. <laughs> Vicky, do you know any identical twins? No. Or maybe I do, but they haven't let on. <gasps> or, oh, yeah. Maybe it's two people. Yeah. But they are just acting like one person. Because they can't, neither of them can stand 24 hours of exposure to me. So they've got to take <laughs> shifts like nannies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but at one point uh, when I was in primary school, we had two sets of non-identical twins, two sets of um, one oh. boy, one girl twins in our class of 30 in a very small village school. What are the chances of that? Yeah. I mean, there probably is an actual statistical answer, but, you know. <laughs> but we're not here for statistics. We don't need to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more into the kind of, what are the chances? But what never want to know chances? the actual answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any identical twins, Colin? Do I know any identical twins? I don't know why this is the question I've chosen to turn back on you. I could be like, <laughs> what's your favourite video? Or what's your um, you know, irrational fear? But I'm like, no, tell me about your history with twins. <laughs> I probably I probably do. And I'm probably going to like offend someone I know by saying, nope. <laughs> uh, they'll be like, Connor, I've told you a hundred <laughs> times about my twin sister. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I remember there were there were some identical twins there were two sets of identical twin brothers a couple of years above me at school and i remember they were real shits <laughs> and so i think i developed some kind of like unconscious bias where i'm like oh all <laughs> twins are awful i'm like yeah fred and george we side with them of course but objectively speaking they make the school janitor's life <laughs> much more difficult than it needs to be <laughs> That's and they're true. really just picking on him That's because true. he's on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale you're right and like and he so, doesn't even have magic Filch doesn't have magic as far as I exactly recall. so he had to like mop up the mess he's a miserable boy. so fred and george you know arguably terrible people <laughs> the two sets of twins who were at my school definitely terrible people <laughs> Well, I'm convinced. And so, if you're a twin <laughs> listening to this, I'm sorry, but it is the official opinion of Jericho Comedy that you're absolute <laughs> monsters. Uh. Does anyone else hear just the looming of an Alex and Harry-shaped shadow behind Connor right now? Just <laughs> <laughs> Alex is about to, like, smash his hand through your window, grab your microphone and be like, it is not the official opinion of Jericho Comedy. <laughs> this is when the emergency broadcast system comes in and it's just Harry saying, we apologise, these are not the views of Jericho Comedy. <laughs> Conor McReynolds is not affiliated with Jericho Comedy <laughs> ever again. <laughs> now back to your regularly scheduled broadcasting. It's just James A. Caster on repeat. <laughs> Vicky, my final question is this. What is the lowest art form? <sighs> Sarcasm? I like sarcasm. Limbo. I'm going to stand up for sarcasm here. Oh, are you? Well, <laughs> that's a surprise. <laughs> nah, sarcasm, I the think, lowest... is just, uh, it depends.
sometimes. I guess it, it depends if you're doing it in a, uh, a fun, light-hearted way, but it's so often so negative, and I think that nobody should ever That's be made true. fun of for what they say, unless it's truly heinously stupid, in which case, fucking go for it. <laughs> but usually it's just like, you try and say something nice to someone, and someone doesn't believe your intentions are good, and then they're like, oh yeah, like you care, and it's like, well, I did now, I did before, but now you're being a prick, so I guess you're right in a weird way. <laughs> I also feel that there's a small part of you that's just uh, paid sarcasm the ultimate compliment because the question was, what's the lowest art form? Ooh. So you've kind of, <laughs> you've classified sarcasm as an art form in itself, which I don't think anybody was doing before. There is new ones. The lowest form of art is either uh, sarcasm or limbo, and I'll stand by both of those answers. <laughs> <laughs> One uh, in terms of sophistication, the other in terms of physicality. Just purely, yeah, yeah, from distance to the ground. I think it's pretty impressive, uh, actually, when you see professional limboers. It's amazing. How do you support oh, all that yeah, weight on like, yeah. your ankles? What's going up? If you're listening to this, it means you've already discovered and have been enjoying the Jericho Comedy Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. But did you know that we at Jericho Comedy have another brilliant podcast series. It's called The Dinner Party. In each episode of The Dinner Party, I chat to fantastic, creative, brilliant, funny people all about their dream dinner parties. I find out the venue, the menu, and the guest list. They tell me about who their guests are, why they're getting an invite, and how the conversation would go. It's been such a joy of a series, speaking to some phenomenally talented, creative, funny, and fascinating people. One of my favourite episodes in the series so far was when I got to sit down with star of Live at the Apollo and author of Clop Actually, Laura Lex. Laura put so much thought into her dream dinner party. It was an absolute joy to hear about it. Here's a little clip of Laura introducing one of her dream dinner party guests. And yes, you might have already guessed who it is. Check it out. As a football manager, this man has achieved almost everything. As a personality, he's impossible not to love. And as an imagined husband and father, he's pragmatic, <laughs> charming, supportive, and insanely sexy. Obviously, your last guest is your husband, Jurgen Klopp. Yes. <laughs> now, Laura, which Jurgen Klopp are you inviting? Are you inviting the actual Jurgen Klopp or the imagined father of Clip? Uh, I'm inviting the actual Jurgen Klopp. Um, okay. And also his actual wife, if she'd like to come. I'll find another very comfortable chair. Um, I feel like I need to say thank you and sorry in equal measure to, to actual... Also, I want to meet him. Um, he just seems yeah. so great and lovely and I really, really admire him. Um, but also, <laughs> I would love a way to not weirdly tell him how grateful I am to him as one, a huge source of psychological affection at the beginning of lockdown when it felt like everything in the world was going to to trash the worst people get the best jobs he seemed like um a beacon of the right person having the right job and like a good guy winning and using a platform for good yes um and i'd like to say thank you to him for not sending any lawyers in my direction to ask <laughs> i was halfway through buying a house when my career collapsed and if it hadn't been for the book i would have had to have pulled out and lost everything we'd worked for uh yeah. so uh, thank him for that um and i'd just That's like to meet great. him he's great doesn't he 
He he really does. I mean, the the version of Klopp that you wrote is uh, very reasonable and very patient and and not particularly emotional. Um, but actually, the the football man uh, is very passionate and emotional when it comes to yeah. football. Um, he's quoted as saying uh, that his approach it's very emotional, very fast, very strong, not boring, no chess. Of course, tactical, but tactical with a big heart. Yeah. And this. When I sort of said that I saw a similarity between you and Klopp, this was another one that I kind of thought, like your your comedy has a huge amount of heart, but it's it's so well structured as well. I mean, like your stories and and the oh, set is so it's a tactical. It is a proper four four two. But yeah, you know, you got great joke density. It's so structured and like all that stuff. Um, is it ridiculous to suggest that creative people? like you, you know, comedians, authors, uh, or, you know, musicians, or whoever it may be, creative people can sort of learn something from an approach like Klopp's to to his work, which is obviously, in lots of respects, very, very different to what we do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about him in terms of him as a football manager. I know him as a personality. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he genuinely blew my mind being asked about coronavirus and saying... I don't know. Don't ask me. Don't have clips of somebody giving advice when they have no expertise. And genuinely, since I I watched him do that in March, I've said I don't know to people. And it stalls interviews. But they say, what do you think about this? And I go, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to speculate because it's, you know, if it, if it's just a like, oh, it could be this and it could be this and it's generic stuff, like, you know, what's the Earl of Warwick's personality like? Then sure, <laughs> who am I hurting by? Having a guess. But when it's sort of like, you know, well, what do you think about who should use these Olympic roles in which gender? Like, I think it's all right for me to go, oh, ask scientists and then apply the science yeah. with some compassion. Um that like there has to be a limit to our desire for attention superseding intelligence yes a hundred percent that's yeah it's it's such an admirable quality i mean he he's so expert in what he does and then just a very cool seemingly down-to-earth guy when it comes to things that he's perhaps not supposed to have an expert opinion on yeah um you mentioned right at the end of your book, I loved Klopp, actually. It was such oh, a funny, enjoyable... Well, I listened to the audio book, ah. uh, which was so wonderful. You read it so well. It was so funny. Uh, you know, your Jurgen Klopp voice, it was like he was there <laughs> in the studio. Uh, you mentioned right at the end, and I can cut this bit out of it, sort of a bit spoilery or whatever, but the, the imagined responses and attitudes of Klopp uh, are essentially the kind of responses and attitudes you've kind of trained yourself to have a bit with your anxieties and stress, which I thought was really, really interesting. Was oh it in God, any way you, helpful? You, you even read the acknowledgements, mate. You... Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I was there right to the end. The hotter and stop. You couldn't switch to a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was folding my laundry, I'll admit. <laughs> but was it was it helpful or, or interesting for you in any way to like spend so much time writing and thinking in that kind of mindset because it's it's a pragmatism that I really wish I could tap into when I'm 
depressed or when I'm having a bad time. Um, it, it seems like a very useful voice to have um, access to. I think I will find the book helpful now. It's printed and bound and that stuff is written down. Yeah. At the time, I never find creative things about mental health stuff helpful in any way because you're juggling mental health coping mechanisms with a desire mm -hmm. for success from a creative project. Sure. So I'm incredibly proud of this book because, you know, there was pretty much no way I could turn down the book deal, really, given what we were on the precipice of at the time. The thought of turning yes. down any work coming in was like... It would be insane. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially as the deal came with the sort of follow-up of, if you write this, you can write any novel you like afterwards. And that's so, so exciting. But then when I sat down to write it... I sort of looked at the original tweets and I and I thought, how do I make this a book? Like, what's going to keep people reading? It, it can't just be two and three liners. It's got mm -hmm. to have some heart and some love in it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I was writing domestic situations and I think you generally write, well, I write f f to a certain extent from my own perspective and the things that rile mm -hmm. me are usually anxieties about tiny things that I wish I didn't get riled about but I do and I can't always keep a lid on them mm -hmm. um so it felt right to me to use the book to explore those to almost write a self-help book that isn't a self-help book you know yeah, <laughs> to be a, yeah exactly a sort yeah. of comfort blanket kind of book to kind of go come on you know this but sometimes it's easier to hear it as if it's from someone else's voice. From Jurgen Klopp? Yeah. What better <laughs> voice to hear it from? <laughs> it's so great. I mean, on a, a very practical level, Laura, you've got Jurgen at your dinner party and possibly his, his wife as well. What do you think it would be like to speak to a man who you've written some pretty steamy things Jesus about? Jesus Christ. Can you even imagine how mortifying <laughs> it's going to be? <laughs> It's got to happen oh, at some stage where yeah. you'll, you'll meet him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd just be so embarrassed to sort of be like, I'm not a weirdo. Like, I know I've written an entire book imagining we're married. <laughs> and I've never met you or watched football, um, but I'm not weird. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd be mortified. Hopefully I'd be more embarrassed than him. I'd like to think that I've done it respectfully. I certainly I'm haven't sure tried to objectify flattered. his body or, you know, <laughs> salivate. Like, there's very little physical description and, and I don't... <laughs> but, yeah, gosh, I it would... It, you'd, you'd have to do a shot together, wouldn't you, to get over that? <laughs> <laughs> You just keep a bottle of Scott candy all night. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now it's time for us to wade through the murky waters of deception in a game called Fact or Fiction. Vicky and I will each offer three pieces of information. These will either be unbelievably true or all too believably false. We have to guess whether the other person is offering a piece of fact or a piece of fiction. One point for a correct guess, or your opponent gets the point if they fool you. Does that sound good, Vicky? That sounds fantastic. I'm ready for this rematch. Mm. You kicked my ass last time, so... Oh, I don't like to brag. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> well, Vicky, you are the guest on the Jacko Comedy Podcast, so you get to go first. What is your first piece of information? My first piece of information is Goodyear is the largest tyre manufacturer in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You didn't expect it. You expected more niche content, didn't you? You expected more niche sea monk. More content. niche than tyre You expected me to talk about venomous shrews again, but no. Reynolds, I'm coming at you from a whole other angle. I'm the scrappy underdog. I won't be outdone a second time. Or maybe I will be. Goodyear. Goodyear. The largest tyre manufacturer in the world, I guess. There are a couple of ways to interpret that question. Mm-hmm. You know, are they the manufacturers of the largest tyre mm-hmm. in the world? Or in terms of business, they they, they dominate the market. Mm. I'm aware of Pirelli, mm. a fine Italian uh, tire manufacturer. And a possible supporter of this show, by the sounds of it. <laughs> a fine tire manufacturer. I often enjoy We try to make it more subtle than that. My plan had been to slip into conversation. By the way, Vicky, I just got these amazing Pirelli tires. Uh, Did you? And all I had to do was visit Pirelli.com for 25% off using the code Jericho Tires. Goodyear, they're a huge company, but I think you're banking on the idea that maybe they're the only tire business anyone knows. And there might be a bigger... I am going to say... This is fiction. It's fiction? You're accusing me of lying on the Jericho Comedy Podcast, <laughs> really? That About I tires, of all things. Of tires? The, the, the rubbery circles <laughs> close to my heart. I cannot drive. That's why I said the words rubbery circles. Uh, yeah, that is a point to you, Connor. Um, Yay! They are not the largest tire manufacturer in the world. The largest tire manufacturers in the world is Lego. <gasps> they produce 870,000 tires per day. And nearly half of all Lego sets contain a wheel. They got a world record for it. Oh, that is very impressive. <laughs> yes, but I still lost oh. the point. Damn it. We're down. <laughs> now, Hawley, don't panic. But you've this got a moral before. victory and no one can take that away from you. <laughs> don't listen to him, Hawley. Uh, Morals mean shit. You've got to get your hands back on the fucking potter's wheel. You've got to deceive. You've got to confuse. You've got to adapt. You've got to perplex. You can't lose 5-1 a fucking end. <laughs> Sorry, I think I just channeled my six-year-old self again there. So, uh, <laughs> if you edit that first right, bit out, Mickey. it's gonna make no fucking sense. <laughs> All right, Vicky. Right. My first piece of information is that a lethal dose of water is six liters. Ooh. No, I know the recommended daily intake for your average person. It's two mm-hmm. litres. And I know, I think, <laughs> that it's very dangerous to drink a gallon of something because physically your stomach expands. So oh. six litres, though. I mean, that that is three times as much water as you should have. But I'm sure. suspicious that maybe the lethal dosage is something like six and a half litres or 5.2 <laughs> litres. And you're deceiving me by giving me a number. I mean, it seems like you wouldn't be happy at six litres. It seems reasonable that if you've had a super busy, exhausting day, you would be able to drink, you would have to drink double the water. Yeah. But triple the water without your cells expanding, like physically affecting the chemistry of your cells. I think if you drank six litres of water, you'd die. I'm going to say that's (gasps) fact. 
You are absolutely correct. <gasps> all right, all I right, was Holly, keep your cool. flummoxed by this piece of information. <laughs> really? Uh, what got you about and it? And I'm really hoping it doesn't include tea because I think I'm about <laughs> a cup and a half away oh, no. today from from just dying, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. But yes, uh, Jericho Comedy listeners, please take note. If you are nearing the six litre limit, <laughs> just stop now or you will die. Don't drive what a weird as well. Way to die. I mean, I guess, water I guess limit. drowning is a form of that, but yeah. Yeah, sitting I... down and drinking six litres of water and dying, there's something <laughs> there's something a bit pathetic about that death. I don't know, like... I think it's kind of magical. Like, you just sort of <laughs> liquefy yourself like that dude from X-Men, the first X-Men film, X-Men 2000. Oh, yeah. The Senator, Senator Kelly, where he gets subjected to, spoilers, uh, Magneto's, <laughs> like, mutantizing ray and then melts and bursts on that table. That is an excellent reference <laughs> to the earliest movie in the modern MCU. I salute Thank you very much. Uh, wow. All right. Well, yeah. Vicky, what is your second piece of information? All right. Okay. I'm ready. Now then. Let's do this. Connor. Tiffany is a name that was popular in 12th century Europe. Tiffany. Tiffany. It doesn't sound right, which probably means that it is fact. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, Yo, first I must finish all of my chores on this small holding we have, and then walk many miles into the village to speak with our baker. (laughs) Very well, Tiffany. Obviously, Tiffany, very popular character in EastEnders. Mm. Uh, Tiffany. 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 Like Tiffany. After a while, it stops meaning anything. Tiffany, 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 Tiffany. Sorry, Tony. Uh, Tiffany's listening. It's, yes, sorry, <laughs> Tiffany. You mean something, Tiffany. Yeah, but your name is shit, it, he says. Your name, <laughs> it does not bear more than eight repeats before it turns to dust in Connor's mouth. He says it a ninth time and a blight falls upon your lands, Tiffany's. You are not safe. <laughs> Uh, I am going to say that this is fact. I think you wouldn't have said it if it wasn't true. I trust you. Damn it. You have a point. Uh, hey! It, uh, Tiffany was very popular in 12th century Europe. It's short for the uh, longer and uh, quite beautiful name, Theophania, uh, which I think ah. is or something. But there's actually been a lot written about this. Um, it's called the Tiffany problem because Tiffany would be a completely fine name to uh, call your medieval character in a book, let's say, or in a film. But the yes. modern audience would look at that and think that it was uh, standing out as incorrect. Um, so it's it's called the Tiffany problem when historical fact doesn't line up with our perceived concepts of what we think about a historical era. Ah, there's the Tiffany from very interesting well there you are well I hope you enjoy that point maybe add an acre to the grounds (laughs) enjoy it enjoy it kind of fine alright I believe in you Vicky you're going to get this one don't support me don't be nice (laughs) it only makes it worse when you're nice (laughs) (laughs) alright well is this fact or fiction Donny Osmond was once cast as Batman in a Broadway musical. Now, I happen to know that Donny Osmond 
is capable of being in big musicals because he was the Joseph I grew up with. When ah. Every time I was ill from school, I would ask my mother to put in the Joseph VCR and I would just watch it on repeat. And I think, you know, <laughs> in terms of my psychology, I came out fine, definitely. Um, <laughs> there's nothing you do have a fabulous coat selection. <laughs> I do. I look handsome <laughs> and smart and like a walking work of art. Um, as people, as many folk exclaim as they see me stride down the street. But I do have 11 <laughs> treacherous brothers I do not trust. So, <laughs> so I desperately hope this is true because I, I don't think that there is a franchise better suited to musicals than Batman I think possibly ever oh I, I couldn't agree more I would certainly prefer to have seen Batman 2019 than Cats 2019 although a, <laughs> a combination of the two would be incredible Jellicle <laughs> Bruce's Jellicle does <laughs> <laughs> not that not that Bruce uh, Wayne has anything to do with Batman. Obviously, he's just an entrepreneur. Of course. Just, you know, I don't know why you would bring up the CEO of Wayne Enterprises right now. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. In a discussion about Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I'm going to say it's... That playboy billionaire, he's always running around with supermodels. Yeah, but you know what he's not doing? <laughs> Investing in the infrastructure of Gotham. You know? <laughs> At the end of the day, no. could he make more of a difference as Bruce Wayne? Um, you know, long-term economically. That's a, that's a debate for a different time. Uh, end of the day, I think it's true, not because I necessarily think it's likely, but because the second you introduced this concept to my heart, it sang in a angelic <laughs> chorus of desperate want. And I can do nothing but think of the joys of Johnny Osmond, uh, Donny Osmond, the joys of Donny Osmond as musical Batman. Oh, I feel so guilty Connor, no. right now. Connor, no. No. I'm afraid it was just fantasy casting on my part. No. It's fiction. How dare I, you? I used a version of that, I believe, before uh, where I I took it too far. I had to change Donny Osmond uh, from Philip Schofield. <laughs> uh, but also I said Philip Schofield was once cast as Bane oh. in a, a musical version of Batman. I would watch that and so much. the person I was speaking to was like, obviously that's false. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so ridiculous. Philip Schofield is Bane. They're not as easily so, enchanted yeah, I had to by rein it in a little the bit. words musical of Batman as I am. Those three words just <laughs> caught me. Like, like a stupid fish on a very, very simple fucking hook. Oh, I'm furious. <laughs> All right, very well. Let's see if we can tie at least. All right. Well, what is your, your third oh, and final fact? Got to pick. Got to pick. All right. Connor. Yes. There is a type of Scottish folkloric creature that dumps people in puddles. <laughs> that is the kind of mischief that I love. <laughs> the kind of mischief that I associate with the good people of Scotland. Ah. Just a creature <laughs> that comes out of a bush <laughs> or a hedge. Just pushes you into a big puddle. Get in there, you wee bastard. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it just sort of runs away. I love the idea that there's a creature who's just so dedicated to just causing mild inconvenience. <laughs> it's like, it's not there to ruin your yeah. life. It's just there to get your shoes yeah. wet. Ah, like, oh, come on, man. The autumn He's dunk is back again. Oh, <laughs> uh, very much in the same vein as you wanting Donny Osmond to be Batman. Mm -hmm. 
I so want this creature to exist. I am saying fact. Oh, Connor, 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 Connor. Connor, 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 Connor. You've beaten me again. It is true. Very well done. It's called a brag. Uh, It's related to the Kelpie mythology, which is fucking terrifying. Uh, So Kelpies, (laughs) for anyone who doesn't know, I love these folkloric stories, uh, are very (laughs) famous, uh, like, uh, Scottish shapeshifters that live in kind of locks and bogs. And they take the shapes of these beautiful horses or sometimes maidens. And then the second you attempt to ride them or touch them, you kind of stick to them and they drag you back down under their lake um, and they eat you up. Um, But they... There is a cousin of the Kelpie called a Brag, uh, which does the same, is a, a shapeshifter that takes the form of a beautiful horse and then just takes you for a ride and then fucks you off in a puddle and runs away laughing. I just that love this. so funny. Some of, these laws, that... some of this law, you're like, oh, maybe it could be true. Maybe someone, you know, saw something spooky in a lock or lost a friend to this. But that is clearly just a dude who tried to nick a horse and then fell off it. Slide <laughs> in that puddle like that. That was a fucking kelpie. That was <laughs> no. Please, Johnny, you're drunk. No, I swear. <laughs> well, okay. Did it kill you? Did it eat you? No, but it dumped me in a fucking puddle. <laughs> I really love it. I think that's the next big like fantasy creature that needs its moment like on the big screen. I know what you are. Or oh, say it out loud. <laughs> A, a weird kind of kelpie thing? Yeah. It's a, they sparkle in the sunlight. <laughs> well, Vicky, this one, uh, this is to make it 4-2, oh. which is is closer. Mm. Uh, so the pressure's on with I'm this try one. Try and help, Connor. Apple. I'm in my shame ditch. Come on, <laughs> fling the fact or fiction. Come on, let's do this. Here we go. Slap the rest Apple of the mud. Apple is worth more than the entire FTSE 100 combined. Apple is worth more. Apple than the entire. worth more than the entire FTSE 100 combined. Interesting. You see, where I'm falling down is I'm not entirely sure why Apple isn't a member of the FTSE 100. Because that would imply it, right? Right. That's true i guess the footsies for trading companies companies that have traded and exchanged and maybe apple doesn't do that but then people do have shares in apple now what you've done here is cleverly not only once again absolutely kick my ass in this game um but you've also <laughs> exposed my limited understanding of the stock market it's a double uh, a double blow if you could see how my eyes are screaming now if you'd asked for any explanation <laughs> on even what the FTSE 100 is why, but, uh, why, did, why did you bring like this something to do with flirting why did you bring uh, this feral dog into our podcast room Connor you're like look at this dog and I'm like does it bite and you're like does it bite is it like slavering in your hands I'm like well I'm trying because if it doesn't bite we shouldn't have it in here and you're like but it's in here now <laughs> I'm gonna say look it sounds ridiculous and too too much but I also think that That's Apple's a really much. huge company so mm. I'm gonna say yeah it's fact you are absolutely correct <gasps> Okay, I'll climb out the uh, Rather ditch. depressingly, <laughs> oh, no. Apple as a company is worth more than $2 trillion. Whoa. And that is worth more than all 100 companies in the FTSE 100 combined. Wow. That is... How many iPhones have they sold this that year? That is bonkers. Like, just... And before I forget, 
uh, Jericho Comedy, Bully Endorses, Apple's <laughs> Fine Ranger Products. <laughs> there we go. I'm hoping the sponsorship deal brings them back below that two trillion. It'd be so humiliating for them. <laughs> yeah, they had to give you... us like $50 for an endorsement <laughs> and it brought them back down below two trillion. Ah, shit. Ah, crap. All right. Make the iPhone 18 or whatever where it's exactly the same, but we remove speakers <laughs> yeah. from it. It has no buttons. It just has a thing you smack against your forehead and then it tells you whether or not you've got a head trauma have you seen have you seen the new apple thing is um apple fitness where you basically it's just a, a new fitness program that you can get on like apple watches and things like that um that basically oh, right. tracks you and the thing that strikes me about apple fitness is you can compare like how quickly you do workouts with how quickly other people you who use this service do workouts and i'm like oh, that sounds like just objectively the worst thing i I literally yeah. cannot imagine a worse thing than sitting there having tried really hard but probably not achieved that much in terms of a workout and then looking at my watch and seeing that, I don't know, <laughs> Matthew in Senegal has fucking lapped the entirety of his city in the time it took me to do 10 minutes of quite tough steep walking on a treadmill i just can't imagine can you imagine like i struggle being in a gym and comparing myself to the maybe three or four other people in a gym could you imagine the global scale on which you could be humiliated oh man congratulations you're in the top 94 percent of people who have done this don't fucking patronize me apple (laughs) i know what you're saying It completely. That sounds so destroying. Oh, it does. Well, at the end of Factor Fiction, mm-hmm. uh, it is Vicky Holly on two points, yeah. but uh, Jericho Comedy's Conor McGrandles on four points. Well played, kind of. Well played. I'll I, get I don't you even. Yet. I'm not even enjoying this applause. I wanted you to win. Oh, Connor, no. If it was, if it was a moral victory, you brought way more interesting facts to the table. So. <laughs> yeah, but it's not moral. Nothing about fact or fiction is about morality. It's about cold, <laughs> hard combat, brain against brain. It is the least moral game <laughs> on the planet. It is cold, unfeeling. Everything that we despise in comedy is evident in this competitive thunderdome of knowledge. It's everything knowledge shouldn't be. Competitive. <laughs> Podcast Sinful. podcast host and ethically reprehensible man Connor McReynolds <laughs> is back with another fun little game to destroy. <laughs> you can use that as an opening. Oh, brilliant! Chop that in at the front. Vicky, as ever, it is just so much fun uh, chatting to you. Yeah. Uh, I really can't wait until you're able to come back and and do best of the quest yeah. with us and. Uh, join in all the fun improv shows that you're a part of with us. Uh, if our lovely listeners wanted to stay across all the fun work you're doing online with your podcasts and Twitch and all the rest of it, how can we experience everything that Vicky Holly has to offer? Well, uh, let me tell you. Um, I You can log on to twitch.tv forward slash Vicky's World RPG. We stream a uh, Dungeons and Dragons live play uh, show that I DM with some very funny nerdy friends uh, every Thursday from 7 till 9 GMT. Uh, but if you miss that, you can catch up or if there's something else you want to watch, um, you can catch up on our beautifully edited podcast, including a really gorgeous soundtrack, uh, which is called Ooh. Vicky's World RPG um, on all good 
podcast app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, and the others. Um, so all of those. Uh, I'm also in another podcast called uh, Sasha Ellen's Character Building Experience. We just recorded a couple new episodes. Uh, so go ahead and find that on all your good podcast uh, providers as well. Uh, and if you uh, ever see... <laughs> If you ever want to find out if I could ever be seen in the real life again instead of doing a, a hologram mm-hmm. performance uh, like Hatsune Miku, uh, <laughs> then uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Vic Hawley. And hey, if you fancy having this asshole run some, some D&D games for you, then I also do, do that. So drop me a message and I could run D&D for you. And <laughs> I promise be better <laughs> and more competent than I come across in this podcast. <laughs> Please edit out that promise, Connor. Get rid of that. I promised too much for my brand. (laughs) Oh, well, we will add links to all of those things into the episode description. And Vicky, thank you so much. And I very, very, very much hope that I get to see you live and in person again very soon. Thank you so much, Connor. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Vicky. Bye. Well, there we go. That was the absolutely wonderful Vicky Hawley. We're adding links to all of Vicky's Twitch and Twitter accounts and all that stuff into the episode description. If you're into role-playing tabletop games or fancy getting into fantasy stories, I really can't think of anyone better than Vicky to guide you through those worlds. She's so warm, so funny, so creative, so check out her work online. We've got some really great shows coming up over the next few weeks. We've got some stand-up shows at Cheney School in Haddington in a lovely, socially distanced, safe way, uh, and more stand-up coming to the brilliant North Wall in summertime later in October as well. Or if Vicky's put you in the mood for some improv comedy, head to the Oxford Playhouse website and snap up tickets for the Dragpov Review and a show that must not be named, both of which are coming there later in the autumn. We'd be super grateful if you would consider uh, donating a little bit toward Oxfordshire Mind. We've got a fundraising page that we'll stick the link to into the episode description. Jericho Comedy have raised over £70,000 for the vital work that Oxfordshire Mind do over the last few years. And we would be so grateful if you've enjoyed the podcast, if you would consider donating a little bit towards their wonderful work. Uh, Check back next week when I'll be chatting to another wonderful Jericho Comedy performer. But until then, thanks so much for listening and bye-bye. (laughs) 